You are listening to a podcast by St. Wilfrid's Church, Kibworth. We hope you are stirred, encouraged and blessed by this message. And so we go straight into our reading and our sermon. And this reading comes from Acts chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. We've got it there on the screen as well, yes. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in one coming after him. And the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this reading is uh, in the lectionary, the second reading uh, for the Epiphany season. But I've chosen to go with this one because actually it contains more than just a baptism Story. It is, of course, a baptism story, and John's baptism was what Jesus received, even though he didn't need it. Jesus didn't need the baptism of repentance because he hadn't sinned. He was without sin. And yet he said, let us do so in order to fulfill all righteousness. And I think he, it's because Jesus is in everything our example. And so even in baptism, he's our example that he's undergone baptism. And to me that says, well, I actually, whether I'm guilty or not, I should always humble myself before God and say, Lord, I need your mercy, if I feel it or not. That's one of the things it says to me, that this story of Jesus at his baptism. But what I want to draw out of the, the reading from Acts is that actually Paul comes here to some believers who already loved the Lord, but didn't fully know the Lord yet. And they, they believed. They believed the message that John had preached, and John had preached that there was going to be the one revealed who was greater than he was, i.e., in other words, the Messiah. And uh, they believed in him already, and they hadn't known about the Holy Spirit, anything about the Holy Spirit, and clearly they, they weren't quite sure about Jesus yet either. So Paul preaches the gospel to them. They receive Jesus. They are baptized into the name of Jesus. And then, in other words, they were fully believers in Jesus. They'd received Jesus into their hearts, into their lives. And there are many who believe, well, at that point, that's when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, because without the Holy Spirit, you can't believe in Jesus. Unless the Father reveals him to you through the Holy Spirit, you can't believe. And people think that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It isn't. 
I believe that, uh, I'm very sure of that, um, because of my own experience. And I think we can, we can listen to great theologians who will, who will bring many arguments for saying it's got to be, uh, can't be two-class Christianity. There can't be this separation between those who are filled with the Spirit and those who are not, all that kind of thing. You can't believe without the Holy Spirit. And I can understand that totally, that argument. You can't. Because Jesus himself said, unless the Father draws them, you can't come. When, Jesus, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, he said, that wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood. That was revealed to you by my Father. So without revelation from God, we cannot believe. And yet, I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a distinct, different experience. And the problem is that we often uh, believe according to our experience or lack of it. And so if we've never ex experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit like it's described in the Bible in so many places, we think, well, we've got it. It's a, it's a human tendency to do that anyway. We go so much by our own experience, and that's not a bad thing, except I'm holding out to you, there's more. That experience is available still. And it came, for those 12 men, it came at the laying on of hands by an apostle. So Paul came and laid hands on them and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not told in this particular passage what that meant for them, what it looked like for them, but the experience is that uh, throughout Scripture again and again is that when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, something completely changes inside of them. Their eyes are open, they see with different eyes, they hear with different ears when they hear about the gospel, when they understand about Jesus, this, it becomes fuller. It's the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, who would lead us into all truth. He would lead us into, into the things that belong to Jesus. And you reveal more to us. Uh, but also, they would, ex, ex, they would show that they have signs like tongues. They, they spoke in tongues and they prophesied, it tells us in the passage. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. And that's one of the signs that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to just dwell, dwell on that, but move us on from there. But I do want to stress that this is something available to us. And I believe that it, that's normal Christianity. It's incomplete Christianity without that experience of the Holy Spirit. And I want us to pursue that, to long for that. In fact, Paul writes in one of his letters, uh, pursue the spiritual gifts. Long for them, ask for them, pursue. Jesus says, when, you, in, when he teaches about prayer, ask and you will receive. Seek, knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. And then he, he, he summarizes what, what that's all about by saying the Holy Spirit will be given to those who ask. And so I want this year to be a year when we all seek more of God, what he has for us. I want all of us to be longing and saying, well, okay, so there are people who tell me about this and I've never experienced it and never seen it, maybe, but there must be something there. So any opportunity that there is, go for it, go after it. And I believe what, what is needed is... Um, a hunger, a thirst, and then we get filled. When we ask, we, get, we receive. When we, come, when, we, when we seek, and seeking is more than asking, isn't it? Seeking is really longing, is saying, I'm not going to stop until I've experienced this. 
And if, whether it's in my private room somewhere hidden away in, in your time with God or whether it's in a, in a gathering together with others, doesn't matter how. My own experience of when I believe I received the Holy Spirit is when I asked, reading a book and an ask by myself. And I believe I received then. And it wasn't a mind-blowing experience. It wasn't an, a, a life-altering experience in the sense that, it, that, uh, that suddenly now everything looked brighter. It was very, very gentle. And throughout my Christian life, I've had new experiences and fresh experiences and different experiences of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when Paul talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, he talks present tense, be filled. It's an imperative when he talks about it and he says, be filled. Not uh, anything to do with, with a one-off experience, but it is to do with, it's, it's to do with keep on being filled. Experiencing it again and again. So, and, and the, the way I think, the only way to be as a Christian, regardless of whether I'm talking just about the Holy Spirit now or other things, the only way to be as a Christian is to say, Lord, I want everything that you have for me. Everything. And how do I get that? By saying, Lord, have everything of me. It's a great exchange, to be honest, isn't it? If I say to God... Have all of me, Lord, so that I can have all of you. And I don't think anyone in a in, in hundred lifetimes can exhaust having all of God. Good exchange, isn't it? And so what I want to, to move us towards is that we will make that our goal this year to seek the fullness of God in our lives whatever that looks like, and say so to God. I don't mind, Lord, what you want to do. I don't mind even what it costs me. It will be costly in some ways, and yet you can never, ever outgive God. And I believe one way of doing that and getting there to that point where we're, where we're increasing in our longing for him, our seeking, our hungering, is by saying, I'm going to commit to pray for this. I'm going to commit to commit to prayer and for me personally I feel very passionate about wanting the church to get the fullness of God and to become a church that is on fire I would love each and every one of us to know and to be sure and to be able to say yes I am full of the Holy Spirit I'm filled with the Holy Spirit that's my passion and when a church is on fire it cannot but help change the world around it. And so, prayer. Prayer, why? Prayer is, anybody will agree with me, I'm sure, that our nation needs prayer right now, more than at any other time, perhaps. But also, not only our nation needs prayer, intercessory prayers by those who have a relationship with God, but also the whole world needs it. The world is in turmoil. We're the ones with the answers. But we need to find the way how to get those answers to the world. And it begins on our knees. It begins by praying. 
I had an experience this last week uh, which is, uh, like many things, bittersweet. <laughs> we have someone in our, uh, in our parish who, who's had a severe stroke in hospital. I was told unconscious, so severe, and I couldn't go because I rang the hospital, I rang the ward, and they said, I'm sorry, we don't want you to come. You can't come. And there's certain circumstances under which they let family members come. So, in other words, somebody's dying. And so, what, do, what could I do? I thought, what do I do, Lord? What do I do? If I, I've got to be obedient, of course. got to submit to these authorities and do the right thing. So, I thought, okay, so I can't go. Because normally I just go immediately, drop everything if I hear something like that. And then I thought, okay, I'll call the chaplaincy. They're in the hospital already. They're allowed to go. So they, I called them and I found actually we, we, we know the chaplain who happens to be uh, on that, uh, that day, that was Hillary. And uh, I got in touch and asked would she go in my place and pray with that person. But then the next day I thought, well, it's not enough. It's not enough. There's more. <laughs> so I decided to believe that doesn't matter where we are, we can make a difference. And I decided to pray very deliberately for that person. And what I normally would do if I go and visit someone very severely ill, I would take oil to anoint them with oil because scripture says in Hebrews, the elders, call the elders of the church if somebody is ill and they will come and anoint that person with oil and the prayer of faith will make that person well. And so I thought, well, okay, so I can't go and anoint her with oil. So I decided I take oil where I was praying. I took the oil and I said, Lord, I pray that you will apply this oil. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I anoint you with oil, be healed. So I acted it out, as well as speaking it out. And the next day I had a conversation with the chaplain again. She said, I saw her again, totally different. She was sitting up. She looked so much better, she's still very, very ill. And I think, well, actually, I thank you, Lord. It doesn't matter whether that was to do with my prayer or not. I was obedient to what you've put on my heart. And that's the answer. And so I think that's an example of the power of prayer. And one of the reasons why I tend to almost exclusively pray out loud is because I believe there's power in the spoken word. Scripture throughout from the beginning to end seems to say that. So, for example, God did not whisper the world into being, the universe, or think it into being. He spoke it into being. And so, that's the first example right there. Power in the spoken word. We would not have the incarnation without that. Jesus is the word of God who became flesh. It's so powerful, that word. And so I believe spoken word changes things, changes the atmosphere around you, declares things to the spiritual forces around you when you speak it out. And heaven hears it and 
goes with it. Yes, we do fully believe that God knows our heart, he knows our thoughts before we say it, but that's not enough. Speaking it is sometimes the thing that's necessary. Um, Actually, all the time I believe it's necessary if we want to see a change. And so I want to encourage you to, to make it part of your own personal devotion to pray out loud, to get used to that, and to pray freely, to not pray the kind of prayers that we... Um, to, to not pray the kind of prayers that you just know of by heart. So, for example, just even like the Lord's Prayer. And I think, Dave, you might have a, a slide there for me. Um, I was wondering whether to put that up or not, because this is very clever language. It's a scholarly language there. <laughs> but uh, a, a man named Walter Wink wrote this. He said, the fawning etiquette of unctuous prayer is utterly foreign to the Bible. Biblical prayer is impertinent, persistent, shameless, indecorous. In it is more like haggling in an oriental bazaar than the polite monologues of churches. <laughs> Tough word. I don't know. I had to look a lot of those words up in the dictionary. <laughs> uh, I can't even now remember them all. But the fawning etiquette the, the, of unctuous prayer, prayer that is just simply said because if you feel you have to say it. That's what it means. The, the kind of prayer that you just say, you don't have to mean. And you can just, uh, they're beautiful words, but you don't have to mean it. They're the kind of prayers that don't exist in the Bible. That's what this is saying. It's saying that the Bible, the biblical prayer is impertinent. It's persistent and it's shameless in its asking. And it's also indecorous. In, in other words, it's not nice necessarily. Not always uh, lovely words. The words actually don't matter. And Jesus, when he was teaching about prayer, saying, don't be like the, 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 the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who, who use many words and want to be seen to be praying because the Jews in those days, they didn't know silent prayer. They only knew loud prayer. And they would pray like this and they would speak, pray in the, in the streets. And Jesus says, don't do that to be seen because then you have your reward in full. You don't get any other reward, but actually do it in the secret place and the Father who knows what is done in secret will reward you. So, of course, yes, in secret, but spoken out in power and with faith changes the atmosphere and changes things. Sometimes the Old Testament prophets would act out prophecies to make them very real and acted out prophecies and spoken out prophecies changed the world. And they're recorded for us. And so there's power in the word. So prayer, why? It's because we've been commanded to pray. We've been told to pray. And in, in, a, in, in a sense, I've been going ahead of myself, prayer how, out loud. <laughs> I was saying prayer why first and then prayer how. Um, there is a need for prayer, there's no doubt. And we need to pray out loud, I believe. And we need to learn to pray out loud. It's not something that necessarily comes easy, but it gets easier as you keep doing it, as you overcome every inhibition. I've made it my goal to not have any inhibitions when it comes to God's ways, when it comes to living the Christian life, to be uninhibited. So I, I go after it if I feel something is inhibiting me. 
some attitude that I have or something. I go after it on purpose. And Jesus said, go and preach the gospel. It needs to be spoken. Now, I want to also think about we need opportunities to, for, this, for this thing to happen so that we corporately grow and learn. And therefore, I've decided, I've had this on my heart for probably more than a week, that we need more prayer meetings. So every Tuesday at about 4 p.m., I want to do a prayer meeting on Zoom while we can't meet together. And anyone is welcome, just anyone. But I, I was, I, I, the reason why I wanted to speak about it today is so that you come with some kind of a preparation expectation that it's not going to be a traditional prayer meeting, but a prayer meeting where we can pray out loud together. And uh, there are cultural things. It, it's not the, Anglican, the English thing to do, is it, to pray out loud altogether. But there, there are other nations, if you go around the world, and, and the Africans are very good at that, and, and the Asians are very good at that. They all pray at the same time. And some of them don't know any other way to pray. They just all pray. And they have no problem. Uh, they never run out of words. <laughs> but we do, because we're not used to it. But I think if we stir our own passion for God and our own passion for our world that needs this prayer, we will also get to the point when we never run out of words. And we will forget about embarrassment of what other people think. Am I praying the right way? Am I using the right words? <laughs> and this God of ours, he's not tied into time or space. He can hear billions of prayers all at the same time. Do you believe that? I believe that. I don't understand it. I don't claim to understand it. But I believe it. And uh, there are nations today that are impacting the world like, like the Western world used to but they're impacting in the world because of their prayer life. I met a, with that I will finish, I met a, uh, uh, a Chinese pastor, actually he said he was from Taiwan, at one of the conferences uh, about a year or two ago, and he had come to England and come to just visit England and happened to come to that conference. And I spotted him and walked past him and started to talk to him. Because somehow on that day I decided I want to look out for some, for what, whoever you want me to meet, Lord, I want to look out and be sensitive, even if it's the most unassuming, humble-looking person. doesn't matter. Uh, because we can sometimes go to conferences thinking we're going to see these amazing speakers. And we want to see them and talk to them. But I just had this attitude on that day. And he totally was so amazing. Because the only reason why I'd come to England a pastor of a probably quite large church, by our standards, by his standards it wasn't, a church that he'd planted himself in Taiwan, he'd come to England to give thanks that this nation sent missionaries out that brought the faith to his nation. That's why he'd come. But he made it his goal every day to pray for some, I can't remember, he said, something like four hours or so to walk the streets and pray for this nation and he told me that uh, uh, 
it was just so rewarding for him, even though it was difficult, because his norm was not quite that many hours of prayer in a day. But he said to me at the end of a, a few weeks of doing that, it became his new norm. There are people who pray for eight hours a day and they're, and because they've increased their norm gradually, more and more. And I was so impressed by that man. I thought, what a deep spirituality and a deep humility to come simply to pray for the nation that had brought the faith to his nation and to just say thank you and to spend money to go on, a t- on, a, on an airplane. His church had paid for him for the ticket to come and to do that and to just simply walk the streets and, and pray. Wow, what a faith. So we can learn now from those nations to whom we once brought the faith. We can learn from them. And so in the end, what we really want is that more of God, isn't it? That more of God. And it will cost us more of us. It's a price that's easy to pay when you begin to receive something from God that is just so much more worthwhile so much more wonderful, and to be on fire for him. I believe, I said I would finish, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I believe uh, we're living in the, in the Western world as the church um, that is the church of Laodicea. I believe that. And in, our, in the ages of the church, in the, the history of the church, we are now the church that is the church of Laodicea, where Jesus said, I know your deeds, I know what you, what you do, I know you, but you're neither hot nor cold, and I'm about to spit you out. I wish you were either cold or hot. In fact, some translations are a bit more graphic. They say, I will vomit you out. It's so severe. And then he offers them, And it's that passage in Revelation. This church gets told, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens up the door, I will come in and will fellowship with him, eat with him. And so, can you imagine Jesus standing outside the door of his own church, knocking? That can't be right. And Jesus saying, you're not, on, not hot, not cold, you're, you're not on fire for me, but you're not either completely cold either, you just look warm. That can't be right. I don't want to go through this year being in that place. Do you? And so we need to pray for ourselves, for each other, and for our church, for our country, and for our world to be on fire again to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. I don't want to go cold. That would be sad. But to be lukewarm seems to be worse. Let's be hot for Jesus, hot for God. Amen. Thank you for listening. For further information, please visit our website, stwilfridskidworth.co.uk.